record 1.64 million cruise ship passengers visited Juno this year. Alexandra Pierce is Juno's tourism manager. That is about 40% growth from last season and about 30% growth from our previous busiest year ever, which was 2019. Pierce says that while this year's number may have felt surprising, it's in keeping with pre-pandemic predictions. In 2019, passenger numbers were expected to keep growing steadily year over year. And then the pandemic hit. We took a few years off and all of the people that were projected to be here for 2023 came, but we didn't ramp up into that. Pierce says more tourists meant more complaints from residents this year. Downtown Juneau felt busier than ever, and not just because the sheer number of visitors was up. Another reason was the lack of tour bus trips to the Mendenhall Glacier. Tour operators sold out halfway through the season, which meant more tourists stayed downtown. Pierce says business owners had mixed feelings about the increased foot traffic. We heard from business owners that they were doing well financially. We also heard from some business owners and people who had been in the industry for a long time that this kind of feels like Juno's capacity and we're not sure that we want to see the industry grow anymore. Kyle Sage works at Mount Juno Trading Post, which sells handmade drums and ivory carvings, along with souvenir jewelry. He says he sometimes ran out of certain items this season. It was intense. Um, at times it was shoulder to shoulder in the, in the shop. Sage says he usually reorders merchandise once each season. This year was different. Normally I'd do one reorder. Um, this summer I was calling reps, I think I called them two or three times at least, <laughs> to, to try and stay ahead of the game, right? Um, and sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. <laughs> I think I'm still waiting on orders I ordered in like August, September. He's already thinking about next year. He usually orders the bulk of his merchandise in January or February so it can arrive in April. But they're moving the boats forward, I think, next summer, our first boat's like April 8th. Um, so I'll be looking to get a March delivery. Um, so it means I should be doing my orders relatively soon. Further down Franklin Street, Tunke Asener runs Pandora's Box, which sells colorful Turkish lamps, jewelry, and leather goods. He plans to keep the store open year-round, and he thinks the busy tourist season may have kept locals away this summer. Local people, they don't want to come to mostly summertime because it's so busy because of the too many tourists, that's why. Uh, I would be very happy uh, to see my local people in my shop. Next year's season will be Juno's first with a limit of five large ships per day. Pierce thinks Tuesdays in particular will feel less hectic. Our busiest Tuesdays this summer were about 21,000 passengers, which is a shocking number of people. Our busiest Tuesdays next summer will be about 17,000, so still heavy days, but... Um, it'll reduce the maybe fever pitch that, that we saw in some of the busiest days this year. Next year's season will also be a couple of weeks longer. The first ship is scheduled for April 8th, and the last is scheduled for October 24th. But Pierce says bigger ships and ships with fewer empty beds have contributed more to growth than longer shoulder seasons have. The city will spend the next few weeks surveying Juno residents about the season. Pierce says those results, along with results of a visitor survey, will be ready for review by the Juno Assembly in early December. 
The ACLU of Alaska calls a national movement to reduce the number of people in prison decarceration and says it's a life-and-death matter in Alaska. At a recent fundraiser, the ACLU again called attention to the high death rates in Alaska prisons. As KNBA's Rhonda McBride reports, it also claims the state is misleading Alaskans about the actual death toll. The event was called Decarcerated, and it packed a room with hundreds of people who came to learn more about the incarcerated. The natives in prison did not get there by accident. Tom Abel, a Haida from southeast Alaska, was the keynote speaker. We get arrested in disproportionate numbers. That's how it begins. Racism used to flourish in the not-too-distant past, and it still exists. J. Allen Stevens. Mark Christopher Cook, Jr. Mark Cook, Jr. was Tom Abel's grandson, among the names read during a remembrance of Alaska inmates who died in the past two years. His family has sued the Department of Corrections over his death at Lemon Creek this April. Abel says his grandson struggled with mental health problems and suffered from extreme back pain, which Abel believes the department failed to treat and ultimately led his grandson to take his life. This is genocide in its most heinous form. Out of a record 18 inmate deaths last year, almost half were Alaska Native. DOC hasn't released information on the racial makeup of 2023's numbers, but Abel wants an independent investigation of all Alaska prison deaths because he says he doesn't want any other family to go through what his has experienced. The Alaska ACLU has also joined a separate wrongful death lawsuit against the Department of Corrections filed in August by the family of James Ryder over his suicide last year. Megan Barker with the Alaska ACLU says Ryder's death was very similar to how Abel's grandson died. His death stemmed from a medical emergency that was not treated, and it led to him taking his own life. From that, we know it was a preventable death if he had gotten the medical care that he needed. Very much that he could still be here today. Jimmy Singri. Louis Jordan, Jr. Singri was 49 and Jordan, 53. Both died in April, just days apart. The ACLU says Singri was transported to the hospital brain dead and kept alive in hopes of donating his organs. Jordan was in a coma. The men had been released from DOC custody. The ACLU says it learned of these deaths from the inmates' families. And when asked for a comment, the Department of Corrections would neither confirm nor deny the inmate deaths, the ACLU says, went unreported. In a statement, the department said it only reports those deaths that are within its institutional custody. DOC says when the state court system releases them, it's no longer its responsibility to track the inmates, nor does it have access to their information once they're out of the correction department's custody. They're trying to skirt responsibility and trying to not have to be accountable for the practices and the conditions that are leading to outrageous numbers of Alaskans dying. Angelina McCord. McCord was the third inmate death that the ACLU says went unreported this year. She died at the Highland Mountain Correctional Center last month at the age of 29. The DOC has only reported eight inmate deaths for 2023, but the ACLU says McCord was the 11th to die.
I think it's wrong. McCord's mother, Angel Standerfer, says DOC should be required to report all inmate deaths, whether they happen in prison or at the hospital. Standerfer wants a complete accounting of the circumstances surrounding her daughter's death so she and her family can move on. It is really painful. Some days I can't get up. Sometimes I don't want to get up. Standerfer says her daughter had her struggles but seemed to be turning around. Her nickname was Lena, a young woman who loved basketball and volleyball. Her mother says she also coached Native Youth Olympics in her home village of Tyonic, where she had worked as a Head Start teacher and helped her dad with commercial fishing. Her dad would always say she was his first son, and she would always go out moose hunting and help us butcher the moose, and she always helped her family, no matter what. The ACLU says had it not been for Angelina McCord's family, it would not have found out about her death. Megan Edge, who oversees the ACLU's Alaska Prison Project, says the ACLU acknowledges that inmates have not led perfect lives, but says the lack of acknowledgement about their deaths is disturbing. In Anchorage, I'm Rhonda McBride. Ketchikan said goodbye this weekend to a beloved building. The scorched remains of the American Legion Hall downtown was demolished after a catastrophic fire. KRBD's Jack Darrell has the story. It took a bulldozer nearly two days to remove the charred debris in the corner of the building that survived the September fire. An onlooker said it was painful to watch. City of Ketchikan spokeswoman Kim Simpson says the building was the heart of the community in location, history, and availability for fundraising and other events beyond the Legion. It was also the first American Legion post in the state of Alaska. Joseph Shacker Jr. is accused of setting the fire. He's charged with first-degree arson and reckless endangerment. Shacker's sister, Ivy Smith, says the fire is a tragedy, and so is the lack of mental health resources in Ketchikan. She says Shacker suffers from mental illness and had tried to get treatment on multiple occasions. Hours after the demolition began on Saturday, members of the Ketchikan American Legion were at the Ted Ferry Civic Center to receive the Alaska Airlines Exemplary Community Service Award. Former Alaska commander of the American Legion, Hunter Davis, teared up as he spoke to the packed crowd. He said they'll rebuild, and when they do, they'll welcome the community through their doors, as they always have. A fundraising campaign on GoFundMe.com is aimed at helping rebuild the American Legion Hall. To please help Ketchikan rebuild what took veterans generations to build. Shacker is currently being held in Anchorage awaiting trial. It's set for January 8th in Ketchikan. Here in Ketchikan, I'm Jack Darrell.